welcome to the Adventures with Grammy podcast. I am your host, Carolyn Berry. This podcast is for grandparents on the go with their grandchildren and for parents who want to ensure loving relationships across the generations. I welcome your feedback and your input on every episode of the podcast we produce. Please send me an email, carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com. Now sit back with your favorite beverage and enjoy today's episode. This episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast has three guests. The first guest is Lisa Jakowski, who is the author of the book, Let's Talk, A Story of Autism and Friendship. The second guest is Lynn Farrington, who is a retired teacher who lives in Australia. And she's here to tell us about activities that we can do with our grandchildren. The third guest is Reiner Jens, who is the founder of the Family Travel Association. He is here to tell us about the latest research on family travel and to give us some hints on how to make that a smooth, enjoyable vacation. The first guest today is Lisa Jakowski, who is the author of Let's Talk, A Story of Autism and Friendship. She is a PhD candidate who works with students with autism and is an advocate for those with learning differences. Welcome, Lisa. Tell us about the inspiration for your book. The book is about two little girls who become friends at the pool. So Harper's main character and she's narrating the story telling how she met her best friend Emma. They were at the pool one day and Emma was new in the neighborhood and Harper had a tube and Emma wanted the tube and Harper couldn't figure out what Emma wanted because Emma cannot talk. She communicates differently. But Harper found a way and then she went home and she goes and she talks to her mom about autism and she becomes determined to find a way to communicate with Emma. And she does. She uses the techniques that her mom teaches her and it works out very well and they become best friends and they have this amazing friendship where they go and do everything together. And I have more books coming and each one's going to be a different adventure, similar to how they went to the pool, but it's really about that determination to become friends and overcome those obstacles. That is a central theme of the book. And that's really what my book is about is two little girls that don't let autism stand in the way. Emma wants to go to the pool and she makes it happen. And Harper wants to be friends with her and she makes it happen. Tell our listeners what autism Mm -hmm. is. Autism is something that affects the way people learn. It could be children. It can be adults. It's some people say it's a neurological disorder, but it really affects uh, people neurologically and cognitively. You can have an issue with being social, not understand social cues. You might have an issue with your eye contact. You might have an issue with acting a certain way in public, like flapping your hands or waving your arms, or you might say things that are inappropriate. So autism affects people in different ways. The way I always describe it to people is that it really is just a different way to learn. How many people in the United States have autism? What are the statistics? 
the rates of autism go up every year. So the statistics are always changing and they don't really know what causes autism. There's all kinds of different theories and hypotheses, and there's different ways to work on autism to help little ones, you know, have the best quality of life and enjoy their lives and reach their full potential. What prompted you to write this book? My field is applied behavior analysis. I've been in this field for seven years now, and I've been working with children doing applied behavior analysis. And a common theme I found was that children with autism had difficulty interacting with children that did not have autism or were neurotypical as we um, describe them. And the little ones that were neurotypical sometimes tried to engage with them, sometimes would just walk away. So I actually had a client and the mom was talking about how they had gone to the park and the little one was on the swing and another child was trying to help her learn how to swing correctly, but she wasn't really paying attention to what she said, but the little one kept trying, which I thought was amazing. So it inspired me to write this book and use something that I really, really love, which is writing something I've always been passionate about and use it as a platform to show families what I see autism to be and see what my experience has been. So that's really where the inspiration came from, was from my job. And in reading the book, you see a lot of my experience in it. I describe the little one with autism as you know, having issues that I've seen before and the use of the communication device is something I've made a million times before in the past. <laughs> so it was really neat to get to be able to bring that to it and to show families a different way to look at autism. So there's not many books out there about autism and the ones that are there, they don't use applied behavior analysis techniques. So I really wanted to combine my two passions and this was an amazing way to do it. I know you don't want to divulge too much about your upcoming books, but can you give us a tease about what we can expect? Book number two uh, just went into publication yesterday. That should be out by early summer. Each book is going to see the girls go on a different adventure, as I say. So they're each going to a different place. And each place is something that is near and dear to my heart. Book number two is really fun. And it's also going to tackle another social issue. It's going to be the same with each book. They're each going to tackle a different social issue, little ones with autism phase two. And there's going to be teasers and sneak peeks all over my social media. So if you want to see what's going on and want updates, you can follow me on all of my social media and my website, but it's going to be really fun. I'm really, really proud of this one. It's, um, It's an adventure that is very near, dear to my heart. So I'm very excited about it. What social media are you on? I'm on Facebook and Instagram under the same name, Books by Lisa Joukowsky. And um, I'm on Twitter at Lisa Child Books. You can also um, find all my social media on my website, which is www.ljayauthor.com. J is short for my last name, J-A-Y. So you can follow everything there and you can go to my website, follow all my social media if you know you can't remember where I am. And you can find my book at all kinds of retailers too. Free giveaways, I have sales, I have stickers, I have pens, I have all kinds of fun stuff. Lynn Farrington has a YouTube channel entitled shenanigans. And she also has an Instagram page where she posts pictures of some of the activities that she does with her two grandchildren. Welcome, Lynn. Tell us about your YouTube channel. 
I started it just to keep in touch with my grandchildren um, during lockdown when we had lockdown for quite a long time in Melbourne. We couldn't see the grandchildren, of course. And so I thought, well, if they see me reading a story, then they will, you know, still be able to see my face and listen to me. They really enjoyed it. And it was just, especially, I think for mum and dad, they were busy working from home and trying to mind two young children as well as entertain them. So I think by the end of the night, it was nice just to give them the iPad and just watch Nana reading them a story and gave them sort of five minutes peace. <laughs> so how many grandchildren do you have? I've got two. So they're brother and sister. Jasmine is four. And then my little grandson, he's only about 17 months. I have been watching your YouTube videos with your reading children's stories. And I'm so impressed yes. because you're sitting in a garden and I hear birds yes. in the background. <laughs> and that's, that's my back. <laughs> and, and then you have all of these props with you. You have a, a stuffed hungry caterpillar or a stuffed bird. <laughs> Where do you come up with all of these ideas? Just from my kindergarten teaching years, um, you know, when you're doing it, I was a primary teacher first and then I did kindergarten teaching for many, many years. And children, it grabs their attention when you're using a puppet or something like that or a prop of some sort. Um, books do grab their attention, but if you can make it even more visually appealing, then it certainly grabs their attention even more. So that's why I often try and incorporate a puppet or something like a little caterpillar that's a little stuffed one. Something like that is fun. I also want to tell listeners that you have an amazing Instagram page where you have such colorful pictures with your books. There's one that's called The Great Zoo Break. You have pictures of it with yes. the zoo animals. I assume that you do a lot of sensory activities. Why is that so important for young children? Yes, I do a lot of sensory activities. So I really try and incorporate those into a lot of book play. So for instance, we might read a story like with the great zoo break, which is a favourite of my children when they were young. And it's got all the different zoo animals in it and they're trying to break out from the zoo. So it's a really fun story. So we'll read something like that. We'll talk about it. And then to extend the learning, it's really great to use sensory experiences because that really does enhance it because children really learn by using their senses, obviously. So if they can touch something, then it's really embedded into their memory more, the learning. I try and incorporate as many senses as I can. So, you know, if I was using the zoo break, then you've got your sand. So I popped real sand into a tub. I have got some little wooden animals or I've got plastic animals. They can use those. We can talk about the names of what the animals are and maybe what sounds they make. So we're using senses there like listening they're using the sense of touch by touching the sand. We're really trying to do as much as we can just to enhance the learning for the child by using the senses. So, yeah, so that's what I really do. Um, and also anything that's sensory play is very fun for the child. So they love nothing more than getting their hands into sand or getting their hands into water, making 
bubbles, um, just any form of sensory play is just so enjoyable for them. They automatically just can be immersed in it for quite a long time in their play and it's just lovely to see that. So it's got a, a lot of advantages. It's also very simple to set up. You don't have to have elaborate play setups. I mean, anyone can do it. Even, you know, if you've got a bit of sand and you pop it in a little shell plastic shape outside and they can sit in it or else have a tub, their height where they can play with that and just tipping sand, pouring it, adding water or playing with mud in the garden, adding water to the dirt and just feeling the texture of the, the dirt. And it also lets them increase their language. So they're using lots of different words. You know, they're saying it feels wet or it feels slimy or it feels gritty or it's cold. or So they're really learning a lot of different words as well as they're explaining to you what it feels like. It's a very beneficial way for children to learn, especially really young children, because they're so used to touching things that's how they're learning by putting things in their mouth by squeezing things by poking things by listening to things patting a cat you know it's all embedded into the to what they are and who they are now one of the senses is movement do you incorporate movement into your stories and playtime as well yes we do often we act things out like um, we did the gingerbread man story, which is a real favourite. And I think that's, you know, a universal favourite, that one. And so we actually cooked the gingerbread. So and that's another thing. Cooking is a brilliant sensory experience because you've got, you know, they're going to be touching the dough. Oh, they're going to help mix it first. So it's really incorporating maths. It's incorporating all the different language and all the different words involved, you've got measuring. So they're doing that, they're mixing, and then they're getting their hands in the dough. So they're actually feeling the dough and explaining what that feels like. Is it sticky? Is it cold? All the different words to explain things. And then rolling it out. So they're using their fine motor skills. They're using their hands, which is really, really important too. So that Later on, when they're using pencils and things, it's strengthening their little hand muscles. And also then, of course, they're smelling the ginger in the gingerbread. So you're using a lot of different senses there. So we then made the gingerbread. Of course, we read the story first. So all along, we were, she was saying to me, oh, do you think the gingerbread are going to escape out of the oven, Nana? <laughs> so that was really good fun. And so we had to keep an eye on the gingerbread men in the oven to make sure that they weren't getting out and running off. And so she loved that whole feeling of are they going to run out the door? And um, then, of course, she ate them. So then she had that sensory experience. And I made a set up with the little house and the... Um, the gin, um, I popped a gingerbread man, I drew one out and popped him on a bit of cardboard on a block. And so she was acting it out using the gingerbread man and making him run past the cow and past all the animals. And we were saying, run, run as fast as you can. You can't catch me or the gingerbread man. And so that was a really good way of just acting out the story together. So you can do that a lot, which is really good fun. And we also do a lot of dancing and singing. So I often when she's here, we pop the music on, we get the musical instruments out, which are very basic, you know, they're just little shakers and 
things like that. You know, we have a good dance to that or we might sing um, a song like Teddy Bear, Teddy Bear, Turn Around or we might go on a bear hunt. Do you know we're going on a bear hunt, that story? Yes. <laughs> or is I that Australian? Used- Yes. No, I used to do that with my my children. And in fact, I remember as a child, the Girl Scout leaders taking us on a bear hunt. That was so much fun. And I did it with my children. Exactly. It's good, isn't it? It's a, such a good story. And that's a great sensory one because you can act that out. So you can, you know, put something outside and pretend you've got, well, you can have water, you can have make some water and pop that in a container to step in and you can make mud and you can do this, pretend you've got the swishy grass. And so you can do all sorts of things like that, which is fun. Um, there's a lot of different ways of extending books and you don't have to base everything on books. I mean, sensory play can literally just be where you fill up a, a bucket outside or a tub put in water, give them some dishwashing liquid and a whisk or some pouring containers and they can be busy for hours. My granddaughter, if you give her water outside with anything, she can play with that, just pouring it into different containers and using funnels and lots of different little spoons so they're using their hands again and practising those little fine motor skills. You know, it doesn't have to be hard for parents. It sounds sometimes it looks a bit daunting when you see someone has set something up with, you know, all the different bits and pieces. But really, if you're giving children basic sensory play, then give them some play-doh or give them some sand and water and dirt, and they'll be happy for ages and they'll be learning so much. One of the stores we have in the United States is called Dollar Tree where every item in the store costs a dollar. Do you have something like that in Australia? We do. Yes. And they're brilliant. We've got, they used to be called $2 shops, but I think now they're slightly more than $2, but we do have those shops and they're fantastic. I've been using those for years, Um, just getting maybe some little plastic zoo animals or some little pebbles and rocks and just things like that or maybe some little I bought toadstools the other day little wooden ones from there which I'm going to use in a fairy play setup so those sort of things are good or even potpourri I bought some of that because that's really interesting the way it smells this one smelt of roses and so we were talking about all the different smells of all the different flowers. So we use that for an experience as well. So there's some really good things that you can buy. So it doesn't have to be expensive. It's just a matter of popping a few things together and and really using the interests of the child. So not just me always dictating what's happening, but letting them go, being guided by what they're interested in. So my granddaughter's interested in fair, you know, anything, or she's interested in anything, basically. She's very easy, but she loves anything to do with fairies. And yeah, she loves, as I said, she loves water play and making bubbles. I mean, even getting a little bucket with a a paintbrush and then putting water in that, and they can go and paint the concrete outside, or they can paint the outdoor chairs or anything. You know, they love doing things like that. So you don't always have to have a lot of resources to to entertain the children and still give them a sensory experience. My suggestions for listeners is because you have such a fabulous site is to visit your Instagram page and to watch your YouTube. And that gives a lot of inspiration. And there are other resources as well. 
but can you give us two tips for grandparents to get them started if they just don't know where else to go? I think one of the easiest things they could do would be to make Play-Doh. I mean, that's a fabulous one. You see that all the time. I mean, we've been using Play-Doh at kindergarten for, for years and years, and it's you can either buy it or you can make it. I make mine just in a saucepan or in my Thermomix, and it's so easy. It's basically really just flour, salt, water, um, and then you just sort of cook it up and it becomes this beautiful, soft, malleable dough and you can add a bit of colour or you can have it plain. And the thing is you can also add different scents to it. So you might like to add a lemon smell. So therefore your child's then smelling the lemon and you're talking about lemons. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy. They, they just enjoy feeling it and pushing it and rolling it into balls and putting it in maybe little containers. So once again, they're using their fine motor skills. They're strengthening those little hand muscles. And it's just such a lovely experience for them. Or you might like to, you know, make one that smells of chocolate. I know people (laughs) put cocoa and different things in and their children love the smell and look of that. It might be brown and You know, you can add little rolling pins later on once they've been using it when they're older, but they can use that to put little animals in, farm animals, so they can make it like a little bit of dirt and then they can add a barn with it and or they can just completely play with it. They can roll it into like sausage shapes and cut it up with little scissors. That's really good for their fine motor skills as well. And But just, yeah, enjoy the smell of it and the feel of it. You know, that's one of the most easy things a grandparent could do um, because I find that that's a really simple, fun thing to do. for, for um, And the other thing is I would say if they could just put some water out, if they do mind their grandchildren, which a lot of grandparents do these days, a lot of my friends all mind their grandchildren too, is... Um, just have a table that's really about tummy height where they can reach it without having to reach up high, just easy access, and just put water in a tub and let just see what they do with it. I mean, it's it's just wonderful. They love pouring it. You can have another empty tub next to it. Actually, my granddaughter then walks around to the side of the house with her husband or with me and she goes and picks our um, herbs from the garden. So she might pick, you know, some rosemary and oregano might pick a lemon and so then of course she can add that so she chops them up with a little plastic knife and adds them to her water so she's making like a little potion or a pretend she makes soup and then she has even just a tea party where she's we sit outside and she pours her water for us and all those activities are so easy to to set up and she loves those so they're some ideas If they like cooking, that's an easy one. You can do really simple recipes with your grandchild. I've been cooking with my granddaughter since she was just so tiny and she adores cooking. And I find now she knows how to do so much. Like she knows how to measure things. She knows how to sieve the flour. She can roll things up into balls. She can put the mixture in the cake patties. And she ices her little fairy cakes by herself. I can just leave her to do things. And she and she loves it. And she's learned so many practical life skills by doing cooking. So, you know, 
that sort of activity is brilliant too. You know, I mean, she's been emptying my um, washing machine, which is an easy access for her because it's a front loader since she was really tiny. So I'd open up the door and she'd reach in, <laughs> into the washing machine and pull out the clothes and, and pop them in the basket for me. And then we'd go outside and hang them on the line and she'd pass me the pegs and I'd say, can you get me the white peg or the red peg or whatever? It's just incorporating all those little things and letting them be responsible too without us bossing them all the time and just letting them make some decisions. Tell me about the books that you read. How do you select the books? I like to select books which I enjoyed reading when I was kindergarten teaching. I know the books that sort of appeal to children and I don't don't like books that have too many words on a page for young children because you lose them very quickly. So I like the stories to be really engaging with good, clear illustrations and a really interesting story that gets them wanting to hear what happens. I've got quite a few favourites which I used to read to my children and I read to my grandchildren. (laughs) I'm a bit picky with the ones I choose to read on the story time. I'm a bit of a sucker for Australian books, which you might not have heard of, but I really like Possum Magic by Mem Fox. It's a beautiful story about a possum and it's just beautifully written, beautiful illustrations, and it's got lots of Australiana in it and scenes from around the country like in Sydney and all the different places but that's a a classic in Australia I like oh goodness me I like the very hungry caterpillar that's a classic around the world that one and it's beautifully illustrated and it's eye-catching for children and the children anticipate what's coming next and it's a book that they really feel they can join in with. I like books where children, you can ask some questions as you go and get them to interact as well with the books. Just done one on my Instagram, just a story on IGTV. Just uh, I went, We went to visit a farm one day and doing the farm animal noises because that tends to engage children in terms of they can then say the noise of the animals. And I've had quite a bit of feedback from people on Instagram saying, oh, their children are loving it and they're making all the noises and laughing at my pig noises. And I think, oh, that's really (laughs) sweet. I I love that. (laughs) So that makes me really happy when I I hear things like that, to know that there's children there, they've heard a book that day and they've thought it was funny and really enjoyed it. So that's what it's all about, isn't it, where they just enjoy a book and feel like, oh, yeah, I, I love that and it's just helps with the whole trying to increase children's early literacy and a real love for reading. Reiner Jens is here today to tell us about skip generation travel, multi-generation travel, and how we can make that enjoyable, the research behind it, and a hint to make it go smoothly. Reiner, I'm really happy to have you here today talking with us about family travel. It's certainly one of my passions and the reason I launched this podcast. We're eager to hear your expertise. Excited to talk multi-gen travel. I am too. I 
am a proponent of multi-generation travel and skip generation travel. And when I've said that to some people, they really don't understand what those terms are. So would you help our listeners understand and learn about those, that terminology? Sure, sure. Well, multi-generational travel, uh, which is pretty common and, and growing and, and has been a pretty strong market in the travel industry. That simply means it's a family unit traveling with more than, in this case, two generations, meaning it's the parents, the grandkids together with the grandparents. That's the most common form of multi-generational travel. It's really you know three generations all packing up and traveling together. Um, skip gen, which is kind of a, a new term uh, that's out there, is when a grandparent or grandparents travel specifically and only with the grandchildren, leaving the parents at home or <laughs> somewhere else. Uh, so there's really two trends. One multigenic, like I said, has been pretty, pretty solid. In fact, you've got about 53% of grandparents who have already traveled together with their children and then their grandkids all together. That's pretty significant and 65% plan on doing so in the future. So like I said, it's a pretty sizable market. Um, skip gen, which is emerging and becoming more popular. Um, those numbers are a little smaller. Uh, you've got about 16% of grandparents who have just traveled solely with the grandkids. And you've got now about another 19% who plan on doing it. So um, certainly I expect those numbers to go up, particularly in the, in the skip gen, but multi-gen is, um, a very solid staple in our industry. I would think that there are advantages to, let's, call it, let's talk about skip generation travel. I would think that there are advantages sure. uh, for both the parents, the grandchildren and the grandparents, but I can see some parents having some real concerns about that. So what, what does our research say about it? Well, uh, in terms of why um, grandparents are choosing to travel only with their grandkids and, and not with the parents is quite frankly, you know, they like spending that extended period of time just with the grandkids without the distraction um, of having the parents there. And I can tell you a personal story, which I will never forget um, in terms of really learning more about the the psychographics of this idea of skip gen. Um, my family and I were actually traveling in the Adirondacks uh, north of us here in New York. And we came a across a group being led by a an organization called Road Scholar. And Road Scholar specifically takes grandparents um, and offers them the opportunity to travel with their grandkids and they lead the tours and the activities and, and so forth. And I got a chance to to speak to some of the grandparents on this trip. And I asked them the same question that you asked me, you know, what are the advantages of doing this? And they all almost universally said, oh, because the grandkids are so much better behaved and so much more themselves when they're just with us and not with the parents. And I kind of gulped, I said, really? <laughs> I said, does that mean when my kids are traveling with my wife and I that they're not behaving at their at their best that they save that for grandma and grandpa. So that was very, very telling uh, that the, 
both the grandparents, and then I found out subsequently through our research that the grandchildren also really enjoys spending alone time with the grandparents, that somehow the, the parents seem to be a distraction. And, you know, another issue that certainly can't be overlooked is the expense. You know, when you travel as a multi-generational group, you're talking, you know, typically at least six people or so, um, certainly more in, in quite a few cases. But with um, skip gen, just the grandparents and the grandkids, it, it could be a lot more affordable. You don't have the extra cost of, of, of the parents and things that go with it. So um, lots of factors, but it's really the opportunity for the grandparents to spend quality and uh, real bonding time with their grandchildren. That's clearly the biggest motivation. I have found that with my own grandchildren. In fact, I had one of my grandsons actually tell me that he behaves better for me because I'm Mama Barry. That's what he calls me. That's what my grandchildren call me. <laughs> See, says, there you because, go. Because you're Mama Barry. <laughs> I just looked at him. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so, and again, as a parent, you know, who was there with my kids, I, I, it was just like dumbfounding to me. Like, really? Like the kids, uh, they're not behaving themselves or they would behave a lot differently if we're not with them. It, it, it was just an eye opener. Oh, that's fun. So and we'll, parents should be aware of that. Um, that's important. Well, it's all, it's a vacation for parents too. If if mom and dad have my children on a vacation, then I've got you know twenty four to forty eight or, or hours longer to just kind of do what I want to do. Yeah, and you know one thing, for example, um, that we've seen is cruises are quite popular with multi gen groups. That said, you know, with the, with the parents along, um, the parents can go off on their own and enjoy, you know, vacation time or if they stay at an all-inclusive. All yeah, so multi-gen groups uh, afford that as well. Um, so just because um, you're with the whole family, let's say the, the whole multi-gen uh, group uh, doesn't mean that the parents, which is important to them, can't get their quality alone time. Um, and, and that's a driver for multi-gen travel as well. Is the parents really want that time together without the kids. Are the activities that grandparents want to do with skip gen travel different from activities that occur during the multi-generation travel? So like, are the destinations the same? Are the activities the same or do they differ significantly? Yeah, they don't differ significantly. And here's the most important element to all of this. Uh, the biggest challenges of organizing a trip like this, and for those that have already tried in your audience or have done so successfully, will know that finding the, first of all, the biggest challenge is finding the time when everyone's available. That's usually the biggest uh, issue. Right behind that is finding a destination and activities that everyone is interested in, right? Um, that's not easy. So it's very important to involve um, all generations, all those that will be traveling together in on the planning process. I mean, they really need to um, kind of coordinate and you can turn that into a game and you know everyone kind of writes down their own wishes in terms of places to go or things to do and then you know put them all in a 
in a pile and see which ones kind of win. Uh, that's a that's a technique I know a lot of people have used, but um, it would be a big mistake for any parents or grandparents out there not to include the grandkids in the planning. I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, many parents are doing that, but it's really important because let's face it, if the kids feel that they're just being kind of dictated to or just following along, they're much less likely to be engaged or interested and enjoy the experience. If you give them the opportunity to help pick the activities or maybe the destination or where to stay, that's gonna go a long way in making everyone happy because making everyone happy is, is probably the biggest challenge. In terms of where they're going, um, looking at our research, beach vacations are still easily number one. Um, who, who doesn't enjoy a beach? <laughs> everyone from a you know, young child to, uh, to an older grandparent. Um, theme parks, interestingly, are um, number two on the list. And, you know, look, just like children come in different ages and sizes <laughs> and interests, you know, so do grandparents in terms of their physical limitations or what they're capable of or not uh, doing. So if, you know, God bless the grandparents who have the energy and stamina to not only, you know, keep up with the, with the grandkids and the whole group, but doing so in a theme park, God bless them. But very, very popular. Um, and look, if you look at all at the demographics of our country and even worldwide, you know, the, the older generations are healthier now than they ever were and are active. So these numbers and, and some of these stats aren't as surprising. And national parks uh, are, are right up there at number four. Cultural weekend trips. You know, these, these getaways don't all have to be week-long vacations. Um, they could be, you know, quality time together, visiting a museum with your grandchild or grandson, you know, granddaughter or grandson. Um, it doesn't need to be elaborate. Um, and, I, and I think that draws out also in our research, the fact that weekend getaways and cultural trips to museums and are pretty popular. Um, zoos and aquariums, uh, another great spot for grandparents to uh, spend some time with their grandchildren. And those can just be day trips, like to go to the zoo or to go to an exactly. aquarium. Particularly during COVID. I mean, COVID has really thrown a, a wrench into all of these, you know, research figures I'm throwing out at you, but there's no question that what we're already seeing and what will happen not too far down the road is this pent up demand to spend quality time with family. And that's why families travel together anyway, because of the quality time together and the bonding that happens. There is a lot of pent up demand for that. I've always recommended folks start thinking about their travel plans and booking now. And it doesn't have to be for spring break or even in this summer. It can be further in the fall or winter or maybe even 2021, but the demand will, will go shooting up. And particularly when it comes to traveling in a group and, and a family. Well, I would think in light of the pandemic, you're seeing more domestic travel than foreign travel anyway, because of so many restrictions. Absolutely. And look, in terms of, restrictions, they are what they are, and they need to be followed. Airlines are really at the front of all this in terms of 
traveling beyond the road trip, which has been very popular. I mean, it was very difficult in certain places around the country to get a vacation home this past summer, despite all the, you know, COVID spikes and, and whatnot. And this is a trend that's kind of come out of COVID that I think you're going to see also accelerate is the the use of vacation rentals. Some of these, there, there are new websites popping up that specifically provide accommodations further afield, further away from the cities that provide uh, opportunities to get more into nature and to spend time together outside of the crowds. That is going to be, um, like I said, very, very popular, whether it's VRBO, uh, winter vacation rentals, you know, um, Airbnb have definitely reaped the benefits and we'll continue to see uh, quite a bit of uh, activity as people start feeling comfortable and booking again. I've read where RV travel is up tremendously as well. <laughs> I have read the same thing. Absolutely. It was very difficult at one point, if not impossible, to rent an RV. I think that the sales have gone through the roof. Uh, yeah, it's it's amazing what pandemics will do in terms of shifting habits and perspectives. And this is certainly one of them. And safety, particularly for older generations, is certainly going to be on top of the list in terms of factors that people are going to look at. And the industry's responding. Cruises have been typically a great option for multi-gen groups, even skip gen for sure. Cruise lines, when they do return, when the CDC gives them the, the green light, they are going to come back strong. There are lots of cruise loyalists who uh, are aching to get back on a ship. And these ships will be prepared. They'll be ready uh, to handle these challenges, just as all-inclusive resorts have been and are uh, continuing to improve. And as I said, the airlines, once the, the general public feels more comfortable getting on a plane, and from my own experience, um, it was a very smooth and well-run operation when I flew this this past year. It's just getting that comfort level back um, for people. And I, but I think the industry has really responded in its protocols and making sure its guests are taken care of, safe and uh, protected. Airbnb as an organization has a, quote, certification process for hosts to say that they're aware of sanitizing practices and they agree to do that. Yeah. And I think, you know, Airbnb is pretty well known at this point. And I would think certain brands, particularly in the accommodation space, whether it's a Hyatt or a Wyndham or Hilton, what have you, you know, the, these brands that people are familiar with and trust are going to be that much more valuable. They're going to be counted on to do the right thing and have those protocols. But um, yeah, so the industry has been working feverishly to, to make sure that, like I said, it's clients and customers and travelers feel safe and protected been a concern for grandparents so true it's now heightened really i, I always keep sanitizer i mean prior to the pandemic it's like let's go wash your hands here's sanitizer you know wash your paws because i tried to keep them healthy and that was like i said prior to the yeah. pandemic so on a personal note what are your favorite places to visit well, personally, you know, I look, I'm, I'm blessed. I had an opportunity to travel with my family for uh, over a year. Back in 2008 and 2009, we covered 29 different countries. 29 because it was 28, but then we realized, hey, the Vatican's actually a country. 
<laughs> so uh, we put another one on the board, but that was an amazing experience. And one that I think, you know, you're seeing more of parents realizing the importance of spending not just quality time with their kids, but showing their kids the world and providing them a, a perspective that's, um, you know, unmatched in any classroom. But anyway, to answer your question, Africa, uh, there I've been to many countries in Africa, whether it's Botswana or Zambia, South Africa is an amazing country, uh, despite sometimes it's, it's social uh, challenges, but Africa is just magical. And, and that is actually one destination that is very popular with multi-gen groups. Children, as well as grandparents, and certainly parents, everyone is just bewildered and, and mesmerized when they first see an elephant in the bush or a, a leopard or you know a flock of flamingos. I mean, it, it, to be out in nature is just indescribable and you know unmatched anywhere. Uh, so Africa is my easy choice on that one. Different countries within Africa. That's exciting. I. I have found that taking my grandchildren any place out of the ordinary is an opportunity for them to learn. And I like to call that stealth learning, where they don't even realize they're learning, but they are absorbing information about Absolutely. animals or other cultures or just how people interact with each other differently from the way they act you know, around their family. And that's the mm -hmm. biggest advantage I see of travel is that it is such an educational opportunity for children and it reinforces what they learn in the school systems. 100%, very well said. And if I may add to this, something that I think most parents are not really aware of are additional benefits that come out from traveling with your children. So for example, we all know or you know suspect that they are learning about the world as they travel through it, which certainly was the case when we did it with our children. You know, those cultural differences uh, really leave an impression and you know so many things. But there's also so not only are they exploring the world outside of themselves, but unbeknownst to them, they're really learning about themselves. They're learning new life skills. They're developing not just new perspectives, but discovering personal interests. You know, that, that's this interesting byproduct of getting your kids out of their comfort zone and from what's familiar. You know, that's what travel affords um, everybody, not just children, but particularly children who are, you know, going through, whether it's adolescence or, you know, changes that are going on in their lives. All of this, you know, mixed together with this discovery about themselves through what they're seeing externally is that I wasn't aware of um, when we embarked on our trip and really realized when I got back. It's no surprise that my older son, who's now 23 years old, got his first job out of college at SpaceX. He, he developed this love and appreciation for not just photography, that's a life skill he learned while he was traveling, but an appreciation for aeronautical engineering and, and space and rocketry that came out of visiting places like the Kennedy Space Center and, and so forth. So it could lead to, you know, really anything, but this gives children an opportunity to discover themselves 
without the you know kind of influence of their peers and and you know kind of their day-to-day challenges and struggles that they have as young people i hope the audience out there really takes this to heart maybe in some way practices it on their own because to be aware of it will really enhance the experience i think without being you know overly you know intentional about it because it should just it just kind of happens and that's where the magic is and that's why i built a career in trying to promote uh, all the things that families can do together not just a theme park or beach vacation or some things we talked about but you know there's so many great trips one one i didn't mention um for example dude ranches very popular with the multi-gen skip gen circles because it's you know a chance to get outdoors and uh you can not just ride horses, but you can go fly fishing and, and spend your know, quality time at a cookout or, you know, by the, by the campfire, you know, making uh, marsh or, or, you know, burning marshmallows and toasting marshmallows, I should say, <laughs> although right. I tend to burn them. But, uh, <laughs> you know, these are, there's so many things that I hope parents and grandparents alike will take the time to to research, discover, not to put a plug for Family uh, Travel Association that I, that I founded seven years ago, but familytravel.org. I urge your audience, check it out and maybe get some ideas and look at things that you never thought were even possible. Scuba diving with, with children is, is a possibility. I've gone on dive trips all around the world with my kids and other families. 10 years ago, I didn't think that was even remotely possible. I didn't realize that a 10-year-old could certify, get their certification. I thought it would have been at least, you know, in the, in the teens, if not a little older. But um, anyway, there's so much out there. But as we kind of started with, it's finding that that kind of common ground that's so important when planning something like this. You know, what are some of the things that everyone in the family likes to do? And one last thing, a common mistake that's also made when it comes to planning travel, particularly with families and certainly with multi-gen groups is that they don't consider the activities before the destination. In other words, people say like, okay, where do you wanna go? And let's say for the sake of argument, someone says, I wanna go to Hawaii. And it's decided that one thinks Hawaii is great. Well, really what Hawaii is, is a destination with beaches, resorts, things like diving, as I mentioned in some cultural experiences. But if you pick the destination first, you limit yourself to whatever that destination offers. Instead, start with, oh, I want to go sailing or, oh, I want a beach vacation. You know, decide on the activity. Then your geography is much larger and you can choose from a greater variety, not to mention expenses. Let's say everyone decides to go to Hawaii, but some people live you know, in Florida. Uh, you know, those are all factors. So pick the activities first, the destination second. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. If you did, I would like for you to do two things for me. One, hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss any episodes of the podcast and ask your family members and friends to do the same. The second thing is to visit the website adventureswithgrammy.com and look on the menu bar and click on the link newsletter sign up. That will give you access to my monthly newsletter. Also, 
Ask your family members and friends if they will sign up too. Please feel free to contact me, carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com, with any comments or suggestions.